Uh, a few years back, a friend of mine went to a funeral for someone that they worked with. Uh, the woman who had passed away was in the prime of her life, so kind of mid to late 30s, if you know what I mean there. But tragically in this situation, uh, this woman left behind a husband and two young children. Now, as far as anyone at the funeral could tell, the lady who had died was a workaholic. She regularly, like a couple of nights a week, would work until the early hours of the morning. She never took her sick leave. She only took the bare minimum of holidays. And in the weeks leading up to her death, she was going through one of those busy periods in her office, and she was stressed and she was run down, but she kept on working. One day she had a fever, but she kept on working. Eventually her health deteriorated so much that she collapsed in the office and was rushed to the hospital, and, and, and there she discovered that she had pneumonia. And tragically, after a few days of ineffective treatment, she died. This poor woman worked herself to death, and it was a sad tragedy. But the thing that really stood out to my friend at the funeral was when the, when the husband, the father, got up and addressed the congregation, uh, he, he talked about when, the, when one of the daughters came and asked, where is mummy now? Uh, my friend said that he, they'll never forget what the father had said to his daughter. He said to his daughter, Mummy doesn't exist anymore. Mummy doesn't exist anymore. Now, we hear the words materialism bandied about, and we usually think about shopping sprees and nice clothes and fast cars and buying and accumulating more and more kind of shiny and useless stuff. We think of consumerism. We think of a preoccupation with shopping. But the words spoken to that grieving daughter, mummy doesn't exist anymore, it's probably the best summary you'll ever hear of materialism. See, materialism is a worldview, it is a way of understanding life and the universe, it's a vision of the world and reality, and materialism is the defining worldview of our day, of our culture. It's the way of thinking that, that drives so much of the world around us, it's, and, and, and the creed of materialism, its guiding principle would be, matter is all that matters. Matter is all that matters. Only things you can touch and taste and see and hear and smell, that's all there is to life and there is nothing more. Matter is all that matters. The material world is all there is and there is nothing beyond it. And if that is your worldview, if that's all there is to life, if matter is all that matters, then that's what you should focus on. If that's, if that's what you think is all that's going on in the world, then that's what you should focus on. So you need to maximize your experience of the material world. We need to enjoy as much of it as we can. We need to experience as much as we can. We need to gather up as much of the material world as we can because once we die, mummy doesn't exist anymore. That's it, game over, the end. That is the materialist worldview. That matter is all that matters. That is the worldview of our culture, of the, of, of the city around us. Uh, now, Jerry Ryan, he's a very successful businessman in Australia. He's worth a few hundred million dollars. He owns a number of different sports teams. He owns a cycling team that I particularly like, so I see and hear from him all the time. And someone asked him, why do you own a cycling team? Like, that's just like burning money, right? They don't make any money for the owners. Uh, and his reply was, there's no pockets in burial shrouds. There's no pockets in burial shrouds. What he was saying is, you can't take anything with you when you die, so you may as well enjoy it now. You may as well spend it now. That's materialism. That's the air we breathe. It's the thinking that dominates our world so much. It's the, it's the, the thinking behind so many of the decisions that, that we make and the people around us make. Matter is all that matters. 
And it's into this world that the words of Jesus, they cut through. Like the scalpel of a skilled surgeon cutting away the cancer. Jesus' words, they have power to cut away the malignant worldviews and refocus our eyes, refocus our vision on the kingdom of heaven, refocus our vision on what really lasts, on what is really important. You see, Jesus is radically opposed to this matter is all that matters worldview. And we see him take it head on here in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. We see this clash of these two worldviews. Now, like I said, this is our second week in our Neither Poverty Nor Riches series as we try and work out how we can glorify God with our money and our possessions. And like I said last week, uh, if you missed it, our church is not in some sort of financial ruin and we desperately need people to give more money so that it kind of can keep the doors open. That's not why we're doing this. Uh, it's not because uh, we, we've got a building project that we're going to wheel out next week that we want to give you to give all your money to. We're doing this because we genuinely want every area of our life to bring glory and honor to God. If our church was in financial trouble, I, would, I wouldn't do this series then because I don't want to guilt anyone into giving more because this is not about guilting people into giving more money to church. It's about us using our money and possessions to glorify God in whatever way that might be. Now, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and we kind of laid foundations. We talked about it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like building a house. It's going to take us a couple of weeks. And so we laid the foundations and the foundations we saw in Genesis chapter 1 was... First, God made everything. And because God made everything, ultimately everything belongs to Him, including our money and our possessions. The second thing we saw was that God made everything good. So everything that God has made was good and it was not to be rejected. So money and possessions are not evil, they're not bad in and of themselves. The third thing we saw is that God graciously entrusts His creation to us. He graciously entrusts money and possessions to us as we bear His image in the world, as we live in His world in right relationship with Him. And finally, we saw that money and possessions, they are part of the created world, so they are not to be worshipped as gods. We're to worship the Creator, not created things. And to worship created things instead of the Creator, the Bible has a word for that, and it's called idolatry. Now, this week in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to expand out a little bit more on that final point about not worshipping created things. Money and possessions are not gods to be worshipped and they are not to be the goal of our life. That's what Matthew chapter 6 teaches us. Money and possessions are not gods to be worshipped and nor are they to be the goal of our life. And I think the challenge with this passage, uh, the challenge here isn't comprehension. It's not hard for us to understand what Jesus is saying. Uh, sometimes bits of the Bible might be tricky to understand, but the challenge here is actually application. The hard thing here is doing what Jesus says, putting Jesus' words into practice, trusting that Jesus' words are actually good for us. So what does Jesus say? He says, strive for the kingdom of heaven rather than strive for the things of this world. And the way he does it is by looking at what we treasure what we focus on, what we serve, and what we fuss over. So let's begin with what we treasure. Take a look at verse 19 with me. Uh, verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, now here Jesus begins by dealing with what we treasure, the things that are most precious to us, whatever we treasure, that is what our heart will go for. And so I want you to think for a moment, what is your most treasured possession? What is most important to you? What would be absolutely devastating if you lost it or if it broke or if someone stole it? Is it a, is it a car? Is it a bike? Is it a, is it a job? Is it a wardrobe? And I, I, mean, I mean the clothes inside the wardrobe. I mean, you might have a lovely wardrobe itself, but is it is your, your clothes? Maybe you're a little bit more mature. It's your Kiwi saver, your hard-earned retirement savings, your house or some jewelry, or maybe, maybe your most treasured possession is a certain standard of living. It's not one particular thing, but it's being able to achieve a certain standard across all of your life. Well, whatever your treasure is, Jesus is warning, if it's not Him and if it's not His kingdom, you can't take it to heaven with you. And so to invest your life in that thing is wasting your time and energy. It it is a waste to treasure things of this world. Uh, I've told this story a few times about when I got, got my very first car, a brand new car, and Adele's rolling her eyes already. Um, uh, my parents were very generous. On my 21st birthday, they, 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 they gave me some money to buy a car, and I bought a new car, and it was really exciting. And, the, and you know, like a young man getting a car, the first thing I did was I took it on a road trip with some friends who were heading kind of a couple hours north of Sydney where we lived, and kind of the first long drive I did, and we pulled into the car park. There was one car that, they, that my friends were in, and there was a car that I just bought and I was in. And we pulled into the car park, and we get out of the car, and... The, Someone just opens the other car door, bang, straight into the side of my brand new car. Now, that person was Adele, and we weren't dating at the time. I think Erin, yeah, has probably heard that story about five times, and she still loves it. But the reason I tell that story is not to embarrass Adele, although it works well for that. Um, (laughs) The reason I tell that story is that that was a significant moment in my life. Here was this thing, way more than I could ever have afforded myself, and it was, it was gifted to me, and it was, it, 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 it was so significant. It was the most valuable thing I owned. It was brand new. It was shiny, and then it had a dent in it, like within, within days of getting it, and I just went, I cannot, I cannot treasure this. This will not last forever. I cannot be angry about this deteriorating. It, it's going to get dented. A car will get dented. It will it'll become obsolete. A bike will get stolen. You can lose your job. Clothes will go out of fashion. They might come back into fashion again, but then they'll go out again. Your KiwiSaver can be decimated in a stock market crash. At the, at, the, at the last church I worked at, there was a number of members of the congregation who were at retirement age or close to, and I had a conversation with one guy in particular, and he was literally weeks away from cashing in his superannuation um, and, and retiring. And there was, a, there was a stock market downturn that wiped 30% off his retirement savings overnight. And so he was talking to me about how he was now not two weeks away from retiring, but he was now five years away from retiring. He had to continue working for five more years before he could accumulate the the wealth that he had lost so that he could live comfortably in retirement as he had planned. 
your house, particularly in this country where the, the wind blows and the earth shakes, it's not going to last forever. It is not good treasure. And that is what Jesus is saying here. Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. The physical, material, tangible things in this world, they make for terrible treasure. They're a hopeless investment. They literally, they literally are hopeless when compared to the hope that we can have in the kingdom of heaven. Money and possessions, they'll let us down, from, down time and time again. They'll let us down if we look to them for our security, if we look to them for our significance, if we look to them for our hope and our future. But all is not lost. You see, Jesus says there actually is a treasure that, that does last. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And what does he mean by that? What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? I think what he means here is contribute to things, kind of, what I think he means here is are things that contribute to the kingdom of heaven, things that contribute to the kingdom of heaven, that they will go on for eternity. So what things contribute to the kingdom of heaven? Well, from the Sermon on the Mount, a, a godly life contributes to the kingdom of heaven, living a life that is in alignment with God's Spirit and His Word. Sharing the good news about Jesus contributes to the kingdom of heaven. The treasure of encouraging someone in their Christian walk, seeing them grow in maturity and faith. The treasure of, of, of living a godly life that, that brings joy to God, that pleases Him. These are things that will last forever. We can invest in the life to come. We can invest in the life to come where we will experience joy for eternity, life with God forever, experiencing God's presence for year without end, having friends and family there to share it with you endlessly. You see, these are the things that can enter the kingdom of heaven with us. These are the things that we can do in this life. These are the things that we can invest in now that will go on for eternity. Uh, so no matter what the price tag is, the important thing is treasure that lasts. That is what is truly valuable. That is what we should treasure, Jesus says. That's what we should be putting our hearts into. That's what should occupy our deepest desires and longings, eternal things things that will not be swept away. Now, the next thing Jesus says is that uh, if we're... Uh, the next thing that Jesus says, if we're going to live in this materialistic world, uh, we need to have good eyes. We need to have good eyes. We need to focus on the light and not the darkness. Verse 22, uh, verse 22 says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I've got to admit, verse 22 sounds a bit strange. It's a bit out of the blue here. We have Jesus talking about treasure and material possessions, and then all of a sudden he's talking about eyes and light and darkness. And the language here is a little bit confusing. Uh, but a more literal translation of these verses could be, if your eyes are single then your whole body will be full of light. And so what I think Jesus is saying here is that we need to make sure that our eyes, that our life, it has a single focus. It has a single focus, otherwise you'll get yourself into trouble. It's like a bit, a bit like when you go cross-eyed. 
Uh, when you go cross-eyed, you start to see double uh, of everything, and it all goes kind of weird and confusing. And if you're, you're cross-eyed and you're trying to walk around, it becomes really difficult. Imagine being cross-eyed and trying to, to walk or run or ride a bike or drive a car. It's, it's scary. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's dangerous. And what Jesus is saying here is that being a, uh, being a Christian, we need to be single-focused, As someone who follows Jesus, we need to have a single focus, a a single tunnel vision on Jesus and His kingdom. And He's saying that if our eyes are going in two directions, if your life is trying to go in two directions, if if you think that you can be seeking earthly treasure and heavenly treasure at the same time, Jesus says you can't do that. It's a a form of double vision, a spiritual cross-eyedness. It will lead to trouble and difficulty. I think it's worth pausing here for a second here. Um, I don't actually think it's a coincidence that Jesus refers to our eyes as He talks about this. I think what He's saying is that we need to focus on the Kingdom of God and that, will actually, that sometimes will actually have implications for what we do with our eyes. I mean, think about it. What do you find yourself constantly looking at? As you flick through the magazines or the newspaper, as you scroll the websites, as you pass by the billboards and the shop fronts, what do you constantly see? I mean, they're constantly telling us that we need more, that we need to update, that we need the latest. They're constantly telling us that we'll be happy if we have this thing. We'd look great if we had that. Wouldn't be life easier if we acquired this gadget? The billboards, the shops, the ads, the papers... The, the social media feeds, they're constantly preaching at us, they're constantly pushing on us the worldview that we need this stuff to be happy, that matter is all that matters. And so we need to be aware that, the, that this is the message that we're hearing all the time. They say that, kind of on average, we're confronted by 5,000 advertising messages a day, 5,000 times a day telling us that we need this thing that they're putting before us, that they're selling us. And if that's what our eyes are constantly bombarded with, if, if, if that's all that we ever see, then we'll start to head that way, won't we? Uh, if you've known me for about 30 seconds, you know that I like bikes. I like, I like looking at new bikes. I like reading about bikes. I like listening to podcasts of people talking about bikes. Um, now, bikes not, might not be your thing. It might be cars or furniture or clothes or holidays or houses or gadgets or, or sporting events or experiences or anything under the sun. But I find that the more time I spend looking at stuff, the more my heart desires it. The more I convince myself that I need it. The more I feel that my life will be complete if I have it. You see, I I know that my eyes feed my heart. And our eyes are being fed all the time with messages of what we should treasure. And so I think we need to be deliberate as we, as we counteract that. I think we actually need to feed our eyes and flood our minds with the things of God. We need to feast our eyes on His Word. Uh, but reading the Bible, maybe even kind of thinking deeply about His Word and reading some good Christian books alongside reading the Bible. We need to busy our hands by doing His work. We need to fix our thoughts and our affections and our hopes and dreams on Him. We need to take time again and again, to consider the gospel. The value of knowing God through Jesus, knowing God who has paid the ultimate price so that you can be rescued, so that you can be brought into a relationship with Him, so that you can be part of His eternal kingdom. 
You see, we need to deliberately set our eyes on Jesus, lest we be swept away in the tsunami of messages to buy and to desire and to lust after the things of this world. Now, I want to ask, if you're, if, if you're not regularly reading your Bible, if you're not regularly casting God's Word before your eyes and your mind and your heart, I mean, really, what hope do we have? What hope do we have of not being swept away? What possible anchor is there in your life? That doesn't mean you won't just go with the materialistic flow of our world. If you don't know where to start, put on the comment card. We'll give you direction and resources and encouragement and accountability. We'd love to help you be reading your Bible. Sign up for the Bible reading notes. We've got this thing that happens that Paul's worked out that's really excellent. You just send, put your email on the comment card and say, give me Bible reading notes. And every morning at 6 a.m. in your inbox will, will come a little note. Read this passage and here are some questions to ponder and here are some things to pray about. It's been fantastic. Join a community group. Join one and be encouraged to focus on God's eternal kingdom as we read the Bible together as we share our lives together. Maybe you're in one and you just need to start going. Maybe, I don't know, we all work differently. Maybe some Christian music helps you focus on God's kingdom. Good Christian music with biblical lyrics. I mean, I used to think that Christian music was what Christians did who wanted to be musicians but weren't good enough to make it, and so they thought Christians would be kind to them and give them this little pocket of, of, of this niche they could do. And maybe sometimes that's the truth, but but one of the things about Christian music is if it's good, it can help us focus on God. It can inundate our ears and our minds with the wonders of Jesus. And recently, as I myself have been using the church Bible reading notes and I've, as I've reflected on, the, on what God has said there, the lyrics of songs that we sing in church or that I've listened to have come into my mind and they've helped me remember and to focus and, on what I've been reading from God's Word. You see, we need to focus on the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to focus on the kingdom of heaven, otherwise we'll end up with double vision, we'll be cross-eyed Christians, we'll, we'll just absorb the values and culture of the materialistic world around us. And we'll lose our focus. We'll lose our focus on God and His kingdom. And now the next thing that Jesus talks about here is masters. Uh, he talks about masters, and this is where he lets us know how, how high the stakes are when it comes to who we will serve. Take a look at verse 24. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, did you listen carefully? Did you hear what Jesus said there? He didn't say that you cannot have, have both God and money. He said you cannot serve both God and money. One will always win out against the other. And now in a world that, that, that tells us that uh, we, kind of, we want to have our cake and eat it too, Jesus is actually cutting against the grain. He's saying you can't pursue both God and money. You can't serve both. One's going to win. And so you need to make your choice. You need to make your choice, Jesus says. What's it going to be? Is it going to be God or is it going to be money? And so as you consider your life, what are you going to make your plans around? Is it going to be about God and His kingdom, or is it going to be about money and possessions? 
What's going to most influence your decision-making process? Why you decide to do one thing over another thing? Is it going to be about God and His kingdom or is it going to be about money? What do you think is going to be the thing that's going to bring you the most joy or the most freedom or the most security or the most satisfaction? Jesus is asking, make your choice. Is it going to be God or money? What's going to be the thing that makes the biggest determining factor in your career or where you live or how you spend your time this week? Is it going to be God and His kingdom or is it going to be money? You see, Jesus is telling us we need to make our choice. We need to wake up. We need to realize we can't serve both. We can only have one master. Now, you might be in the situation where kind of you look at your savings in the bank or you look at your house or you look at your lifestyle and you look at, you look at these things and you, you just, when you look at them, you, just, you can't help but think about how many hours or how many weeks or how many years it took to accumulate that. And that feeling is deep and is strong and all this talk about money and possessions, it's difficult for you because you feel the power that these things have over you. And you really feel the struggle of that. And you're feeling the resistance to God's Word at this point. You feel that money and possessions, they, they have this power over you. You find yourself serving them rather than serving God. And if that's what you're feeling at the moment, can I, can I make a suggestion? A good way to break the spell, a good way to break the hold that money and possessions have over us is to start giving it away. Make a conscious decision to be generous. Make a conscious decision to give it away, to support some missionary, to give it to someone in need. It doesn't really matter. I'm not saying give it to church. Make a deliberate decision to give it away. You see, when we give stuff away, it helps us to not be too focused on it. When we give stuff away freely, it cuts money and possessions of their power over us. It puts them back in their right place. It puts them back into the place of something that we control, we control rather than something that controls us. Something that we use to serve us rather than something that we serve. You see, giving stuff away, it, it helps us not to be too focused on it. It helps us not to be too tight-fisted with, on it, with it. It helps us not to be too invested in it or over, overvalue it, make it more than it really is. Because remember, Jesus said we need to be single-minded, hearts focused on heavenly treasure, serving God and not money. And when we get to this point, we'll recognize that true wealth is only in heaven and, and that will change what we fuss over. That will change what we get anxious about. Uh, take a look at verse 25. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now, it's worth realizing here that Jesus is not promoting a reckless lifestyle. Jesus is not saying just kind of go out and buy whatever, who cares, don't worry about the money, don't worry about the cost, don't worry about where it'll come from. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's a lot in the Bible that says that we need to be responsible for the money that God gives us. Uh, this week, if you're in a community group, we spent a bunch of time in Proverbs where we kind of looked at how we need to be planned and thoughtful and disciplined with the money that God has given us. It's one of the reasons why we're running the CAP course. We're not saying that's the only way to look after your money, but we wanted to give people a practical way of actually 
being faithful stewards of what God has given them. You see, Jesus isn't promoting recklessness here. But Jesus is saying, once you've been responsible, once you've been responsible with the money that God's given you, once you've done the budget, you've made the plans, you've done the research that's appropriate to do, then don't worry about it. Don't be preoccupied, preoccupied by it. Don't check your, your bank balance multiple times a day. Jesus is saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Jesus, and He's saying here that, that clothes and drink and food, He's saying it's small stuff, so don't stress about it. He says, heavenly treasure, that is what we should be focusing on. Heavenly treasure, the kingdom of God, and trusting that God will look after you, because God's already got you covered. Take a look at verse 26. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And down in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, when I was 12, my family uh, did a, a road trip uh, in the United States, and the final leg of our road trip was from uh, San Francisco down to LA, and on the way, there's um, this place called San Simeon, the, the Hearst Castle. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever been there. Um, now, it's this massive house built on the coast uh, by a guy called William Randolph Hearst, and he made loads of money in the 20s uh, through newspapers, and uh, he was especially fond of collecting art and treasures and relics from all over the world. And so what he would do is he'd flick through brochures of, of these art treasures from around the world, uh, and he'd look at them and he'd decide which ones he wanted, and there was one that he saw that he fell in love with. And Hearst decided that he must have it, and he, he became obsessed about getting it. And so what he did is he sent his art agent out, and he sent him overseas, and he told him, scour the earth, spare no expense. I want you to find this thing. I want you to buy it and bring it back for my collection. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how far you've got to go. I must have it. Now, after months of searching and spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars Hearst is kind of in constant contact with his agent, asking, have you got it yet? Have you got it yet? Have you got it yet? But one day the call comes through. It had been a long and arduous search, but, but the agent had found the treasures. The treasures that Hearst so desperately wanted, they were found in one of his own warehouses. He spent his time and money energy stressing over stuff that he already owned. He just didn't even realize it. And that's like what Jesus is talking about here. Don't obsess over clothes and food. God's already got you covered. I mean, we're talking here about the God who has the rest of the world under control. We're, we're talking about the God here who made the sunrise this morning. He's got you covered. We're talking here about the God who has sent His Son Jesus to die for you, the God who has forgiven your sin, the God who has blessed you with His Holy Spirit, who has given you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's got you covered. You've already got the greatest treasure there is if you trust in Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, don't sweat the small stuff, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, it's a pretty concise and powerful summary of this section. Uh, we're to seek first God's kingdom. We're to seek first 
Him and His kingdom, because that is where true and lasting treasure can be found. And so the kingdom of heaven, it should have our priority, our priority of attention, our priority of our time, our worry, our money, and our resources. We need to seek it first. Not second or equal first, but first alone. Now, see, what Jesus is saying here is pretty simple. Remember, comprehension isn't the challenge this morning, but application is. It's when the rubber hits the road. Do you really believe Jesus' words? Is this really how you live? If you go through and list out all the things you did last week, how you spent your time, your money, the things you worried about, how much of that contributed to this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? Or how much contributed to the gaining and protecting and looking after wealth and earthly possessions? You see, we need to be aware of the world that we live in. If we just go with the flow... We'll be living by the dogma that matter is all that matters. And so to seek God and His kingdom, it requires us to swim against the flow, to make deliberate and intentional decisions. And so we need to ask ourselves, is our life any different to the world around us because we are seeking first God's kingdom? Does it cost you anything to seek first God's kingdom? I'm not talking like pocket change, I'm... Has it cost you something substantial to seek first God's kingdom? Have you ever thought of maybe changing your career or a significant change in your lifestyle or changing where you live so you can seek first God's kingdom? Has it ever cost you anything to put Jesus and His kingdom first? Because sometimes we need to ask ourselves, if, if we're not going without anything, if we're not going without anything, for the kingdom of heaven, on what possible basis might we be able to say to Jesus that we're seeking His kingdom first? If it's never costing us anything, if our life never looks any different to the neighbours, if it's indistinguishable from the society around us, on what possible basis could we say to Jesus that we are seeking first His kingdom? Now, Jesus' words, they, they work us over here. These are hard words to hear in such a materialistic world. But Jesus says these words because He loves us. It's because He wants the best for us. It's because He wants us to be rich. He doesn't want us to simply settle for money. He wants us to have the real stuff, the stuff that lasts, real treasure. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Will you pray with me as we ask for God's help in this? Heavenly Father, we, um, we live in a world that constantly tells us that matter that all, is all that matters, that we need more, that if we had more, we would be happy, we would be content, we would be safe and secure. But Lord, your word cuts through. It cuts through to tell us that we will only be rich if we seek first you and your kingdom. And so Lord, we ask that you might help us to swim against the tide, to go against the flow, to live radically different lives to the world around us as we seek you first. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.